and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here <laughs> on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other platforms uh, we're broadcasting on. And I'm Warren Landis, the host of Sunshine USA and also the Bible teacher of Sunshine USA. So it is uh, very exciting for me to welcome you to this uh, time of Bible study. Um, I know some people that make this uh, program a regular part of their listening uh, during the day, and in particular a part of their listening to the Word of God, and it's overall a part of their devotional time and Bible study time each day, and that is such a wonderful thing. Uh, One of the things that I want to do for Christians is to give them a greater desire to study God's Word and to get to know God's Word and to put it to use in their everyday life. Uh, I tell you, if we had more people not just reading the Word of God, but putting it to use in their everyday life, I'm here to tell you folks, we would see revival. But I think one of the reasons we're not seeing revival today is because we have too many Christians that are not in the Word. And they're not only not in the Word, but they're not obeying the Word. They're not doing what the Word says. So it's no wonder today that so many churches today are dying and are fizzling out because they've got too many Christians that are not getting into the Word of God. We've got uh, pastors that I think are guilty of not uh, always going deep enough in the Word of God. I know some pastors, they say, man, I don't want to get too too deep in that Bible doctrine stuff because I'll turn people away. Well, we need to get deep into the doctrines of the Word of God. I mean, how else can we do the Word if we don't know the Word? I remember when I surrendered my life to go into the ministry and I was a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, I know back in that day, myself included, there were many who felt like, well, you know, I don't really need to go to school because I've been going to church all my life. I've been in Sunday school all my life. I've been going to a good church where our pastor preaches the word and teaches the word, and I just didn't feel like I needed seminary. But the more I got into seminary, the more I began to realize, hey, this is something that I need. I need... to get into the Word more. And, and the more I studied the Word, the more I got into the Word, the more I realized I didn't know as much about the Word as I thought I did. Amen. So uh, we need to get into the Word of God. Now, uh, on the program today, as you know, we're going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And um, today we're coming to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, Now, I have to tell you, this is not the easiest chapter of the Word of God to teach. I mean, down through the years, uh, looking at all the different pulpits pulpits I've preached at, uh, different churches that I've served, uh, Sunday school lessons I've taught, uh, this chapter right here, Daniel chapter 9, is probably one of the hardest, most difficult chapters I've ever tried to teach. But it's really got some neat stuff here. And uh, we're going to spend basically our entire broadcast today here in 
Daniel chapter 9. Now, as we get into chapter 9, we're going to see, first of all, that Daniel really loves his people, his countrymen. Uh, Daniel knows that his people, the Jews, they have not been faithful. They have, in fact, been very sinful, very wicked. They have worshipped other gods. And this has broken the heart of God. There's not a lot of great things Daniel could say about his people. But yet he loved them anyway, and most of all, he prayed for them. And he didn't just pray for them, he prayed for them earnestly, as we will see in this uh, chapter today. Now, I want us to look at Daniel chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, starting from verse 1. It says here, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of Medes, which was king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So we notice here, first of all, that Daniel was a man of prayer. But we also know he was a man of the word. He spent time reading the word. Now, you know, Daniel didn't have the whole word of God like we do. Back in the Old Testament times, they didn't have any of the New Testament, obviously. But they didn't have a lot of the Old Testament either, because it hadn't been written yet either. But in Daniel's case, he did have access to the prophecy of Jeremiah, it seems. And he knew that in Jeremiah there was a teaching about the 70 weeks. And you'll see that we have an outline of the 70 weeks of years here in this chapter, chapter 9. And we'll get further into that outline at the end, toward the end of the day's broadcast. But first, we see that Daniel was a man of the word. He spent time studying the word. And there wasn't a lot about the word he didn't know. And then we'll go on and read further. He says here in chapter 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So we see here that God... Uh, I mean, we see here that Daniel is praying to God and he's using fasting, sackcloth, and ashes to aid him in his prayer life. Now, uh, fasting is a subject we don't hear a lot about today. But we probably need to, and I think we would probably even be healthier, by the way, if we practiced fasting. But we also want to talk about what biblical fasting is and what biblical fasting is not. First of all, we note that fasting, and I'm going to give you just a thumbnail definition here, and that is fasting is going without food or water in order to spend 
more time in prayer or meditating on the things of God. Now the important thing here is the fact that it has to be for a spiritual purpose. In other words, uh, let's say uh, I get up this morning and I decide this morning I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm just going to give up breakfast and I'm going to turn on the TV and I'm going to watch the news. Now is that fasting? No. You see, that is not fasting. I'm giving up a meal, breakfast in this case, but I am not fasting. Fasting is where I give up a meal, for example, in order to pray to the Lord or to meditate on the things of God or to perhaps do something special that the Lord wants me to do for him. This would be fasting. Now, let's say, for example, you're at work and uh, you're busy on the job. Your lunch hour comes and you say, you know what? I think today I'm going to read my Bible and pray instead of go to lunch. Would that be fasting? Yes, that would be fasting. And the reason that would be fasting is because of the fact that in this particular case, you're giving up food for a spiritual purpose. But now, if you're at work and you say, you know what, I'm really behind on my work. I'm just going to keep on working. I'm going to work right on through and I'm not going to eat lunch today. Is that fasting? No. <laughs> you're not eating. You're giving up a meal, but it's not fasting because you're not doing it for a spiritual purpose. And by the way, you're not automatically fasting just because you're on a diet. Fasting is where we give up food for a spiritual purpose. And then here Daniel talks about sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes. In other words, when uh, Daniel prays to, when Daniel prays to God, he is praying with a broken heart. He is literally crying over the sins of Israel. And so he uses the sackcloth and the ashes to really put a lot of emphasis on the fact that here he is mourning over the sins of Israel. And they say that back in those days when a period when a man was going through a period of mourning, mourning he would literally wear sackcloth with ashes on it, representing the fact that he was mourning over something deeply personal to him. In this case, Daniel was mourning over the sins of Israel. And let's read on here. He says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love them and to them that keep his commandments. He says in verse 5, We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly. And have rebelled, and even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto the servants of the prophets, 
which spake in the name to our kings, in thy name to the kings, our princesses and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. In other words, uh, Daniel was saying, hey, we've blown it, we've sinned. Notice he puts himself in this same group, even though it's kind of ironic, though, because uh, probably in those days in all the land of Israel, you wouldn't have found a more godly man than uh, Daniel was. But this shows us how sincere Daniel was. Because if Daniel was an immature believer, you know what he would have done? He would have said, you guys, why can't you be like me? Why can't you be godly like me? Why can't you be perfect like me? But no, Daniel didn't do that. He says, we have done wickedly. We have sinned. We have rebelled against God. And so Daniel puts himself right in the thick of things. In other words, he is totally relating to the people that he's ministering to. And he does this because he loves the people. Now, let me tell you something, and this is going to be hopefully very helpful to those of you young men who are going into the ministry. And I know that we have a number of men going into the ministry that are listening to this broadcast every day. One of the things you have to have in order to be an, a successful, effective leader for God, you've got to have love for the people. A great pastor is one who loves his people. And he doesn't just simply tell the people that he loves them. I heard one time about a church the pastor ended every sermon by saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. But, you know, <laughs> the way the pastor treated the people, you could tell he really didn't love the people. He was just simply trying to put on a show. But to be effective in the work that God has for you to do, you have to love the people. If you're going to Africa to be a missionary, you've got to love the people. If you're going to be an evangelist, and you're preaching to great crowds, you have to have a love in your heart for the people. And this was the way it was with Daniel. Um, Daniel had a great love for the people. Now, we'll find here in verses 1 through 19, and this is where I start... Um, giving you something of my own overview for the sake of time. In verses 1 through 19 here in chapter 9, we mostly have the coverage of Daniel's prayer. Daniel praying on behalf of the people. You know, a lot of the prophets, when they preached the word that God had for them to give to the people, a lot of times... They wept. They cried. They had this great love for the people. And then we see in chapter 9 and verse 20, we see where angel Gabriel comes on the scene. Now, Gabriel is probably 
one of the most familiar angels in all the Bible. Amen. But Angel Gabriel comes on the scene, and he is making clear to Daniel what this 70 weeks of years means as given by the prophet Jeremiah. Now, in the 70 weeks of years, we find that basically it covers everything from the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls and the ultimate establishment of Messiah's earthly kingdom. The ultimate establishment of Christ's earthly kingdom. In other words, we know that certain people from among the people exiled, they are allowed to return with Jeremiah to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. And this is the time period that begins the 70 weeks of years that we find here in this ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. And then we find it goes on to cover the 62-week period ended and Christ was cut off in death and had nothing, nothing which was rightly his, no kingdom. In other words, this period is the time period in which Christ is rejected by Israel. They refuse to accept him as the promised Messiah, and ultimately, of course, he is put on Calvary's cross, where he sheds his blood for your sins and mine. And then we see, as we go further into the 70 weeks, it says here, the final week of seven years, and I'm reading from Unger's Bible handbook here. It says, the final weeks of seven years constitutes the climax of Jewish history prior to the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. It is divided into two half periods, three and a half years each. During the first half, the prince or ruler, also known as the little horn, will make a covenant with the Jews who are restored to Palestine along with the resumption of temple worship. Along with the resumption of temple worship. Now this, in general, is a reference to the tribulation period, which will be about seven years long. Now, I think I mentioned on the last broadcast how the next great big prophetic event mentioned in the Bible is the rapture of the church. And when the rapture of the church happens, whenever that is, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. We do know that the rapture of the church is something that will happen at any time. It could happen at any time. It could be imminent. Or there again, it could be something that happens a hundred years from now. The important thing, of course, is to be ready. 
Now, following the rapture of the church, and this is where all the Christians of the world are taken up out of the world, and they are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so we as Christians will not be here during this tribulation period that makes up the final stage of the 70 weeks of years. Uh, that's why I told someone the other day, I said, I'm not really 100% eager to learn everything I can about the tribulation period because I'm not going to be here. And I believe that if you're a Christian, guess what? You're not going to be here either. Amen. We're going to be in heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. But during that seven years of tribulation, during the first three and a half years, it'll be relatively peaceful. This little horn, also known as the Antichrist, comes on the scene, and he makes peace with the Jews by allowing them to worship God in their temple, the way in which they were accustomed. But about halfway through the tribulation period, which would be about three and a half years, the Antichrist reneges on his promise. Typical politician. They know how to make great promises and then they go back on what they've said. And that will usher in the second three and a half years of the tribulation period, which will be a time period in which all hell breaks loose. And ultimately, at the end of that time period, all the nations that are against God and all the nations that are against Israel will be soundly defeated. They will be permanently, once for all, defeated. And Christ will come back with us, the saints, and he will set up his millennial kingdom on this earth. A period of time also known as... Uh, the millennial period. And it'll be a time period where Christ establishes his kingdom. Christ will, in fact, rule from David's throne in Jerusalem. And all the nations of the earth that have survived will have Christ as an earthly king ruling over all the earth for a thousand years. And by the way, Satan will be chained up during this time. He won't be able to deceive men anymore, or women, or teenagers. And so we see that there's actually a great deal of time here involved in this uh, 70 weeks of years. Like I say, it goes all the way from the time that the Jews are still in captivity to the time that Christ will ultimately set up his kingdom upon the earth. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of today's program, this is a very hard chapter to teach. It is by no means an easy chapter to teach. And um, that's because it is prophetic, of course, and prophecy in general is sometimes very difficult to understand. 
And bearing in mind, these prophets, they were seeing things that they didn't know how to describe. You know, for example, if Daniel saw a flat screen TV, I don't think he knew what that was. It looked kind of mysterious to him, and he didn't have a word in the language of his day to describe it. So he has to do it as best he can. Now, you also have to understand that back in biblical times, they didn't have all the freedom that you and I have today. And so, therefore, a lot of the prophets, when they wrote, they wrote cryptically. Look at John, for example, who was exiled to Patmos in the book of Revelation. John uses a lot of symbolic symbolism in the book of Revelation. Why is this? Well, among other reasons, John wants only the intended readers to be able to understand what he's saying. In other words, if the authorities in Rome read about what John wrote, they don't want them to be alarmed. He doesn't want them to be alarmed. So he wrote cryptically. Um, I am told that in China, for example, we have many great Christian churches that meet underground. Now, in this case, they meet underground not because they're ashamed of Christ or they're afraid to take a public stand for Christ. It's because what they're doing is illegal in China. They can't legally worship God the way they want to. Now, China, I understand, does have some, quote, public churches. And pastors there, they have to submit a sermon to the Chinese leaders who have the authority to approve or disapprove of what they've wrote. But that's not real freedom. And so... The real church, they meet underground. And of course, they understand there's great danger here. Now, for an outside preacher that comes in to lead these services, they are sent back to the country they came from. In other words, they are deported in many cases. Now, in some cases, they might be locked up in prison but basically they're deported. But now for Chinese nationals that are caught going to these services, they could be sent off to prison camps. There's a great price to be paid if they get caught. Now, by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of thing one day comes to America. Even during this pandemic over the last two years. We have many churches here in the United States that have been told by different governors, you can't meet in person. You can meet online only. And by the way, we don't want you singing. You see, I, I see a day coming when we will see persecution in this country, the likes of which we've never seen before. Now, the good thing is, it's going to separate the wheat from the taff. In other words, it's going to separate those who are truly Christians and those who are not.
So, I mean, I, I would say that's the good thing that will come out of it. Now, let me say one thing very clearly here. The devil will never succeed in destroying the church. You know why? Because Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus promised that. Jesus told us that. And God's going to be true to his word. The devil will never succeed in snuffing out the church. But that's not going to keep him from trying. And the devil is already trying really hard to do that right now in many countries around the world. Um, it's amazing how many Christians in the world today are either in prison or they have been put to death because of their faith in Christ. I'm told that one time there was this uh, young girl, she was in high school, and a gunman had taken over their high school and was shooting students and faculty and the gunman came up to this teenage girl who was a very dedicated Christian and he said either denounce Christ or I will blow your head off. She would not denounce Christ and she was killed. Now when I heard that story on the news media I said to myself, you know, I hope that I have that kind of blood in my veins. I hope that I'm willing to take a stand for Christ to the extent that I would be willing to die for Christ if it came down to that. Of course, in some ways, it's easier for me to say that now because, I mean, uh, I'm 67 years old. I'll soon be 68 years old. I know I don't have as many years to live as I've already lived. So, I mean, it's not too much longer before I go to heaven, no matter what. But I hope I would be willing to take a stand for Christ, even if it meant I had to die for that stand. Amen. And so that's what we get into here with the 70 weeks of years. And it lets us know that God already has everything planned out. Nothing happens by chance. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, every dimension of his life had been prophesied in advance in the Old Testament. And in the life of Christ, every single prophecy in the Old Testament about Christ was fulfilled. Now this lets us know that God is going to keep his word. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. God is going to do what he has promised. You could go to the bank with it. Now back in the old days, you know, this is sad. Back in the old days, here in this country, the United States, uh, you didn't need lawyers and contracts when you wanted to do a business deal or you wanted to buy a house or anything like that. You simply shook hands. Your word was your bond. But nowadays, you know, whether you're buying a house or renting an apartment even, I mean, you have to go through a lot. Uh, 
I mentioned how I recently moved into this new apartment that I have. And by the way, I love this apartment. It is by far the nicest apartment I've ever had. And it's the cheapest apartment I've ever had. Go figure. <laughs> God has been so graciously good to me. I, I rejoice in that. But I remember on the day that I signed the lease to move into this apartment, I had to sign all kinds of papers. I mean, there was a huge stack of papers I had to sign. And I hate to tell you this, I don't know what half of it was. I just knew it had to get signed in order for me to move in. But you know, in the world that we live in today, the world that we live in today, you have to do that. Because man is a sinner. If man can make an agreement and then figure out how to weasel out of it, he'll do it. And that's why today we have lawyers and contracts and arbitration and the whole works. You can't just make it a gentleman's agreement anymore. But you see, God, on the other hand, when he tells you something's going to happen, when he tells you he's going to do something, by golly, he's going to do it. You can go to the bank with that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I tell you, folks, that brings us basically to the end of chapter 9. Now, by my own ambition, uh, I'm just hitting the high spots here. Uh, we could certainly go deeper if... Um, I felt led of the Lord to do so. And I hope that you are reading all of these chapters very slowly and very digestively, <laughs> digesting all of it. Now, for next time, I want you to read Daniel chapter 10, and we'll see what God has to say in Daniel chapter 10. And uh, I note that there's 12 books in Daniel. So starting with the next broadcast, we may conceivably cover more than one chapter. So if you also want to go ahead and read uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, that would be great. That would be a very good thing to do. Uh, don't be surprised if I come here next time and I decide to give you just a brief outline of Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12. It could happen. It's all according to whatever I feel out of the Lord today. Okay? Okay. But don't worry. We got plenty more books in the Old Testament to go through, and then we got the New Testament. So we're going to be here a while. And then when we get it all finished, we'll start over again. If I'm still here. <laughs> you know, I'm getting to that age now. I said, I say, you know, I may not live long enough to do it, and you may not live long enough to hear it if I do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, if you would like to submit a Bible study question, if you have a prayer request, I would love to hear from you. Um, the email that we have for prayer requests is um, uh, warrenlandis at yahoo.com and also warrenlandis at gmail.com. I've actually got two emails. And you could contact me at either one, and I'll be glad to hear your Bible study questions and read your prayer request. And if you give me permission to, I'll be glad to share your prayer request with our unsaved um, 
well, I say our unsaved, our unanswered, I mean our unnumbered audience. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, the devil's trying to trip me up here. <laughs> but I'll be glad to share your prayer requests with our unnumbered radio audience. And I don't know about you, but I would take great comfort knowing that Christians around the world are praying for me and are going to the Lord about any problem I have. Now, if you want to contact me the old-fashioned way, that's the snail mail way, you can do so by contacting me at Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, Thruston Street, apartment um, 8510, 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And before you seal the envelope, you might want to pray and see if the Lord would have you send a financial contribution to this ministry to help out with the work that we're doing. Uh, I would love for this to be a year that we expand this ministry in a number of ways. But in order to do that, then I need financial support from you. Now, I tried to do my part because I don't receive a salary for doing this broadcast. I do this broadcast as a volunteer. In fact, everything I do for Sunshine USA, it's all as a volunteer. I am the founder and director of this ministry, but I get no salary. Because I want all the money that comes in to be very wisely and very efficiently used for the Lord. And by the way, I never ask people to give money to this ministry instead of their local church. Whatever church you are a member of, that church comes first. You financially support that church first. And then whatever you have left over, you can perhaps feel out of the Lord to give to this ministry. But I don't want any pastor to be able to write to me and say, Warren, you're taking money away from my church. No, that's not true. Because I always tell people to, first of all, make sure you're financially supporting your church. And then, if you're able to, you can give money to this ministry. Now, by the way, you will find that we support the local church. For example, if somebody writes to us and they say, Warren, I've gotten saved. I've come to know Christ as my Savior. I live in such and such a city. Do you know a, a, a church that I can hook up with? And I'll be glad to refer you to a church where you live. That's one of the ways that we support the work of the local church. So keep that in mind. Well, anyway, this is uh, Warren Landis letting you know that uh, I love you, I care about you, and guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.